Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is April 19th, 2021. This is episode 314. My name is Scott Magnus. And my name is Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll pull out the cartridge, blow it out a little bit, and reset the Orioles season. Are we doing phrasing still? I don't think we're doing phrasing. Scott, have you ever done phrasing? No, we haven't. We'll also go around the bases. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? Scott, I am drinking myself a Coke Zero and Malibu rum. Uh, it's not great times here in the English household, but it'll it'll get you through an evening. It's the drink of freshman girls out there, everybody. <laughs> All 67% of them at American University that turned Jake English down. <laughs> Uh, I'm drinking a Brotanical from Independent uh, Brewing. Um, goes with a hint of cucumber, Jake. Um, it's a decent summer beer. Uh, we'll go with that. So uh, if you want to know what we're drinking on a nightly slash weekly basis, follow us on Untapped. I'm at MEGN8606. I'm at Jake E 4025 And with that, let's go on over to the medical wing. All right, the medical wing, it's pretty much where we left it last time, but with one notable exception, I think since the last time we all got together and did this crazy thing, Max Roller uh, went down with right shoulder tendonitis. He has been put on the 10-day IL retroactive back to the 13th of April. I think he was the uh, the guy that went down to make room for uh, Salser to come back up onto the active roster. Other than that, it's pretty much status quo. We've got Austin Hayes just about ready to come back from his hamstring. And then Harvey and Davis, who, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Austin Hayes was going to be activated. Uh, I think tomorrow is is the talking point. Um, but yeah, uh, Max Roller, again, to the IL. Uh, interesting timing. Uh, interesting to see how the Orioles uh, navigate this with the Rule 5 draft picks. Um, also sets himself up really well for when Roller does return, um, where Masson can put on their return of the Mac, um, and that'll be a really <laughs> a good way for us to go forward with this. If that doesn't happen, I'm going to be really, really disappointed. If Olivia Ritherite were still with us, um, that would definitely She's happen. not dead, Scott. She's dead. Okay, she's dead. She went to the athletics. She's dead, okay? Just... <laughs> You know, just pour pour dirt all over it. Okay, talk about not doing phrasing anymore. <laughs> about to say, well, with that, um, let's go ahead and do it in 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you start us off? Scott, I feel personally attacked this week. I want to talk to you about a tweet that came from Matt Snyder at Matt Snyder CBS. He tweets as follows: Maybe I'm too old but I just don't get the allure of 
loving seeing a position player pitch anymore. It's beyond stale and just dumb for me. Well, you know what, Matt Snyder? I am also old. And I am also beyond stale and just dumb. And I love me some position player pitching. So you say all you want, Matt Snyder of CBS. I am going to enjoy fun and weird baseball. And until the rules change again, you can't take that away from me. Yeah, I don't don't understand this hate. Um, There was a position pitcher that was playing, and I think it was in the Angels game. And he was going from like, 48 miles per hour to 72 miles per hour and, I'm, and he had like a seven pitch inning i was just like this is great this is exactly what i want to see of like slow pitch softball when the game is out of hand just add some amusement um to a game that doesn't matter anymore so uh and it, it doesn't happen that often just lean into it and enjoy it yeah exactly uh baseball is full of oddities and uh just admit that uh sometimes it's it's funny uh to just in, enjoy the insanity that is baseball uh, next week comes from Orioles fan Probs. That's Probs with a Z. Um, the funniest thing about the Yankees being the worst team in the American League so far, aside from the fact that the Yankees are the worst team in the American League so far, is the fact that the Yankees are the worst team in the American League so far. That's right. One more time, louder for the fans in the back. I, I think that is all logical, and uh, yeah, I think that works out really well. So um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll continue on with that. Scotty, this next tweet... I may need an intervention. Uh, My online behavior may be becoming a problem. Uh, I got myself into a bit of a Twitter beef last week with a washed up uh, post uh, former Orioles player. And this week, darn near got myself into a Twitter uh, Twitter beef with one of the Orioles announcers. That's right. Kevin Brown, who of course tweets at Kevin N. Brown. That guy. Tweeted as follows. I love working at Cannon Yards for a lot of reasons. One of them is our DJ, Woody Popik, because you might just hear the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald at 1.15 a.m. before a doubleheader with the Mariners. Now, I, I may have, <clears throat> I may have um, opined that uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is, is horrific. And let's just be clear, I was right, and I'm not willing to, to uh, retreat from that position. However, the thing that upset me the most about this tweet was that for a good two days— I had the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald stuck in my head, a song I had not thought about for five to 10 years. So Kevin Brown, you're on notice. I will also go out to point that uh, your previous comments of how old you are um, definitely comes again when you're mentioning Gordon Lightfoot um, out there. (laughs) Um, Folks, uh, if you are also into the stylistic folk pop sounds of Gordon Lightfoot from the 1960s, um, reach out to Jake English at Jake at birdsivbaltimore.com uh, to let him know what your top 10 is of the Gordon Lightfoot era. Appreciate it. Uh, the next tweet, um, well, it comes from MLB Vault, um, and uh, it goes as follows. At Simply AJ 10's first term for the at Orioles came on Jackie Robinson Day in 2008 as he was wearing number 42. Hashtag Jackie 42. And of course, it's Adam Jones's video of him hitting his first home run as a Baltimore Oriole. Um, that seems like a long time ago, Jake. It does. It does. The funniest thing for me seeing that uh, clip was it was his first home run as an Oriole and to watch him get back home and tap his sleeve, something that we would see him do for, you know, what, 260 some times as an Oriole, the fifth most of any Oriole. Uh, it was neat to see that it was there right from the beginning. 
you know, it was kind of a, a nice little reminder. We were we were on the inside of that joke for once, so it was nice to see. Obviously, you know, I, I have a hard time thinking about Jack Robinson Day for the Orioles without Adam Jones. You know, he used to really embrace that uh, and remind us what that day was all about, uh, and not let us get away uh, from ignoring the uh, you know the the reason behind that day. So I I do miss him on the club for that. Yeah, it's. I guess it. It was. A, it's. It's a great moment to kind of reflect back on, but it's also just kind of even better just to reflect on the journey um, that Adam Jones continues to take to this day. Um, you know, I just saw some tweets that he posted out um, earlier this week, specifically talking about the Negro Baseball Hall of Fame um, and just talking about some of the stories. So he's still being an ambassador for Major League Baseball and for baseball in general, um, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, once he retires, um, what role he decides to take on in the near future. Um, he definitely has a place with his personality, um, his love for the game, um, and his knowledge of the game as well. Sure. All right, our last tweet is going to come to us from Brad Spence. The, he tweets, of course, at Brad M. Spence. I'm not going to read it because it's long, uh, but Brad posted a, a nice tribute to his his grandfather, um, this tweet came to us, uh, earlier in the week on the 15th of April. Uh, and he said that he lost his grandfather and his grandfather was a big part of his love for the Orioles. Um, and it was something they shared together. Uh, and it was just a wonderful, uh, tribute thread. And it got me thinking about, you know, how much baseball and family can be intertwined and, and really what a special place Baltimore is when you grow up as a baseball fan. And that's something that is, shared from, you know, parents to children or grandparents to children. I think many of us have have a, a shared experience of having a, a grandparent or a parent that was really important, not only in your development as a, an Orioles fan and a baseball fan, but as a person. Um, and that really jumped off the page uh, as Brad tweeted. So I just wanted to express my you know condolences, but also thanks for sharing that. It, it really yeah, touched me and, and again, you know, made me think about my own grandfather um, and I think a lot of us as Orioles fans can really, uh, can really, you know, feel that emotion. I, I agree. And like I said, great kind of Twitter thread. Again, it'll be, um, on our post within our website for those that, you know, want to potentially go through it. Um, you know, it kind of makes me think along the lines of, you know, will our kids in the future, um, take to that and remember fondly, um, the activities that they've had with us. Um, by posting, you know, threads like that on Parlor, um, you know, going forward as well. You're the worst. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, you know, it is a time of a new, you know, um, you know, it is it is we're starting to get momentum building into the season. Um, we had a lot of predictions for how this season is getting started. Let's, you know, brush everything off. Let's start anew. Let's let's put some, you know, apps that may have been deleted back into the app store. And and let's talk about um, what our new expectations are going to be going forward for the rest of the season. It's 
Scotty, now that we are 16 games into the season, that's, you know, just about 10%. We know now what we didn't know then. Or rather, we know that we don't know enough about what we didn't know on opening day, though we knew that we wouldn't know when when we'd know. Well, anyway, I'm convinced now. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering to myself, should we reset our expectations now that we're 10% of the way through the season. And and the thing that got me thinking about this was that I looked at the, at the standings for the first time since, you know, like day one of the season when the Orioles were quote unquote in first place. And I was surprised to see that the Orioles were in third place in the division. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to say right from the top, the standings don't matter after 16 games. The standings in April don't matter. They're not worth reacting to. They're not worth overreacting to. But Unless you're a Yankees fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. If you're a Yankees fan, please overreact. But it got me to thinking, like, how weird would it be if the Orioles managed to hold things together throughout the season for a third-place finish? And how would that make me feel about the season? Like, we have this very binary experience. The Orioles are either terrible or 2012 happens and suddenly they're incredibly good and there's no in between, right? We don't, we don't have any way to measure how we feel about in between. So, okay. We went from zero to 60 in 2012. Maybe that won't happen this time. Maybe I need to reset my expectations. So Scotty, I have a, I have a couple of things here that I want to bring up and, and see if we need to re reset those expectations uh, for the season. So, I mean, again, this is bird's eye view. I'm going to lay down on the couch, talk about my feelings, and I need you to set me straight. Talk to me about John Means. You and I have been very careful to, to steal our hearts away, right? Saying that we, we don't really believe in Means as a top of the, uh, the rotation starter. Let me ask you, after 10 games or 16 games in the season, 10%, is that still true? Or have we seen promising enough signs that his career progression may pleasantly surprise us? Um, you know, I, I think we have seen enough now of John Means to know who he is uh, and, and what to expect of him. And my opinion still is, uh, I don't think he's a, an ace. I don't think he's even a number two starter, but I considered him to be a really nice number three starter. And, you know, Dylan Atkinson was talking about this this week, and I think he really framed it really well of, you know, John Means wasn't this acclaimed prospect. You know, he was, I think, 30th ranked, um, what Dylan said, uh, in the Orioles organization. Um, And it's pleasantly surprising to see an Orioles pitcher actually succeed. Um, It's kind of odd is the best way to put it. Um, So do... Do I think that John Means is going to be the next big thing? No. But do I see enough from John Means where I'm happy to see him go out there, happy to see him continue to progress, happy to see him continue to succeed? Absolutely. Um, I think the bigger question is how long does John Means stay on the Baltimore Orioles? Um, He is pitching so well right now that it gets into this dangerous predicament of, Okay, is he going to be part of the rebuild where you're going to try to keep him around for the next three to four years and hope he can maintain that level of success? Or do we have another Eric Bedard trade candidate on our hands 
um, in order for us to potentially rebuild the organization once more. Well, how old is Means and how much is left on his contract, I think, would be the question. I think John Means is 26, but I can pull it up really quickly. And I believe he's entering into his first year of arbitration as of next year. So that means he would be under club control for another three years. The thing is, is that, you know, judging by that calendar. And I am correct about that, except he is 27 years old um, and going to be entering into his arbitration. So. By the time he is available for free agency, he would be 30 to 31 at that point. Um, so, you know, not not at the end of his career, not, no, nothing like that. But again, I think the question has to be raised, is John Means really necessary for this team over the next three years? Well, I mean, his highest value would probably be with one arbitration year remaining, right? He, he would have the ability to pitch long enough to I mean, to show that resume. Based off what we've heard from like CBS Radio and 105.7 Fan, we're supposed to trade people as soon as possible. So like we should have traded Manny Machado in the 2012 season because we could have seen the most return for his value at that given point. Oh, but that, that, that's mm. not the way it works. No, no. Our 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 trash for their treasure. That's the way trades work, right? But I do think but, like right now we are seeing John Means at his best is is what i'm trying to say is like i don't think we're going to see much more of an upside um at this point for john means i i think this is really great and like i said i'm really happy with what i'm seeing for john means but if someone is willing to overpay for that um do you take do you take them up on that offer is i I, is is the one thing that's been pondering me Uh, my only concern with that is that he'll he'll be at his most valuable, hope hopefully, when the Orioles are ready. And so I think to myself, at that point, we don't need to trade away. Hopefully at that point, the farm system is sustainable. Hopefully at that point, you know, his his era is the last remnants of the second mini dark ages. Um, but that's the eternal optimist to me talking. I have to say, Jake English here, a uh, new Baltimore Orioles fan that has no historical context with the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles, apparently. Let me just take off these orange-colored glasses. Jake, before you spiral into a uh, a Don Quixote-like philosophy there, um, why don't you go ahead and tell us our, our next thing that you need to reset your expectations on? All right. Well, Scott, I'm actually going to go the opposite direction in this one. I, I think— Sidney Ponson? Yeah, he's— <laughs> He's my expectation. As I would like to, I would like to punch a judge. That's what I'm saying. Um, for this next one, I'm going to talk about Cedric Mullins. I I think that we need to be careful here, and we need to lower our expectations. You know, we have been uh, unabashedly rooting for the the phoenix of Cedric Mullins. We've been delighted and surprised to see his performance. But whatever this is that Cedric Mullins is doing right now whatever magic pixie dust that he is he is being fueled by will absolutely run out right this this can't be the new cedric mullins we we should reset our expectations and and know that it's going to be somewhere between now and bad right so i agree with you and i mean i think we have seen that in the past week where cedric mullins has not been uh, on fire, as it were. And we had talked about this in previous podcasts where um, Cedric Mullins' BABIP has, was astronomically high, like ridiculously high. 
So I, I do think that we're going to see a normalization of Cedric Mullins uh, at the plate. However, I still think we're overlooking the fact that Cedric Mullins is still showing a really decent plate discipline. His walk rate is still higher than it's ever been in his career. Um, and, and I still think we're overlooking the fact that he is playing a great um, center field defense as well. So, yes, Jake, I think you're absolutely right that we need to maybe taper our expectations a little bit. But I don't think we need to reset them back to the point of, um, you know, Cedric Mullins is going to return to some um, uh, former uh, basis of being a 80 to 90 weighted runs created plus player. You know, looking at his plate discipline and just looking at his approach, uh, I think Cedric Mullins right now is an everyday center fielder, even with the typical statistical regression um, that we are expecting to see. All right. That's uh, that's far rosier than I was ready for. All right. I'll, I'll take it. Next, I want to talk about DJ Stewart. Now, I have been very reluctant to admit that DJ Stewart might be a suitable regular at the major league level. Now, he, he finished this past week with a 89 weighted runs created plus, and there were no <clears throat> major defensive miscues. But I, I think that I need to start to come to terms with the fact that a certain reality may present itself to us where DJ Stewart has a path to becoming at least a, a plus platoon outfielder, if not a more time on the field than off major league player. Scott, do I need to reset my expectations or am I right to doubt DJ Stewart? Uh, look, I, I am not a huge DJ Stewart fan. However, I do think we need to look at the numbers. And like I said, I didn't think DJ Stewart was doing that well this season so far. But if you look at last year, and we all exclaimed how great DJ Stewart was at the end of last year, um, you know, over the entire 2020 season, which again was only, you know, 30 games that he played, he had a 355 on base percentage, a 125, 24 weighted runs created plus. Uh, on the given year so far, and, you know, a limited plate appearances of 33. He's got a 123 weighted runs created plus and a 364 on base percentage. So, Jake, I, I hate to say it, but there seems to be something there with the plate discipline of DJ Stewart. And as much as I didn't want to admit it, you know, years back and why, and I'm still surprised about it at the end of last season. Yes, Jake, I think you are right that DJ Stewart is probably a very much a serviceable platoon outfielder going forward for the Baltimore Orioles. I, I, uh, I'm still suspicious. But- I, I'm, I'm extremely suspicious, but, um, I always come back and think about that Mike Petrillo article where he was comparing, I think it was Fernando Tatis and Acuna, <laughs> uh, to DJ Stewart. And I'm like, what, what, what kind of world have I entered into at this point? Um, but the numbers are intriguing, uh, both in play discipline. And I know Mike Petrillo's article was talking about the, basis of barrels um and dj stewart seems to have a lot of them i don't know it's it's interesting to me i mean even if i'm looking at the expected weighted on base average of 310 this year compared to what he's had of 341 uh, he's doing pretty darn well all, all things considering um 
So uh, you can see flashes of the players that they they hope they got when they drafted them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the right call, which is um, you know, first round draft pick. Um, I still don't like that that draft pick. Like I said, I <laughs> I'm still bitter about it. Like even every single time I look at DJ Stewart, I'm like, what could have been? Um, but I think you're right, Jake, that I think he could easily be a serviceable um number three or number four starter. Um might I even say Steve Pierce-esque? Um, if his career, if his career ceiling was as Steve Pierce, that would be great. If he could play that second be base, great. that'd be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. All right. Let me ask you this. This, this one, this one I'm all up in my feels about, so I'd appreciate you setting me straight. Ryan McKenna. I had always assumed that Ryan McKenna was you know, an organizational also ran that he was just some guy that was in the machinery and found his way to the majors because there wasn't a whole lot else out there. But you look at Ryan McKenna and you look at the tools that he's got and you look at what he did two seasons ago and then last year in the minors and you think to yourself, maybe we should, you know, reset the expectation and consider, you know, that he might be a usable part uh, and have the ability to impact the organization. You know, maybe not the next starting center fielder in Baltimore, but maybe we should give him more credit. Am I crazy there, Scott? Is there recency bias? What's going on? I, I think you are right that there's something there. And I think this is also where the Orioles stand with. They know they have a plethora of talent in the outfield and I think this is where those comments and trade rumors around Anthony Santander came up. Um, and it's obvious, if you look at it, that the Orioles have a plethora of outfield options. And I'm not saying Ryan McKenna is, is a great player, um, just like I'm not saying DJ Stewart was a great player. But you can see how the Orioles could look at the depth of their outfield and quickly say, can we get something else for our organization with this outfield depth that we have. And that's why I still think that Anthony Santander ultimately will end up to be traded. Cause I don't think um, the Orioles see him as the it player for them um, when they're going to be in contention. Um, and I can easily see them looking at someone like a Ryan McKenna or a DJ Stewart serving as that platoon outfielder instead um, and, and being a more important addition than an Anthony Santander. Um, you are you are breaking the hearts of the United Kingdom right now. I, I know I am, but again, I think as much as we want to be emotional about it, I think Ryan McKenna somewhat explains why the Orioles were potentially putting Santander's name out there on the trade block. Okay, all right. Uh, next, when it comes to resetting the expectations, I want to talk about Tanner Scott. I think uh, we all came into the season feeling that Scott was one of the few arms in the bullpen that we could really trust, right? The one high leverage guy back there that we could depend on. And I wonder to myself, is that too much pressure? Is this a guy that we should be looking at and, and see that he is still a developing talent rather than a finished product who should be wiping out hitters with that slider and velocity every time we see him? Have we just because there isn't anybody else back there, put the mantle of a finished product on him. 
I don't know what to think about Tanner Scott. I mean, the whole rub against Tanner Scott has always been, you know, great electric stuff from his fastball velocity, but terrible command. And we saw that last year. We saw that in years past, and we're starting to see it again this year with a 12.79 K rate and a 5.68 walk rate. Um, so I, I don't see how he can be a closer. Like, I, he doesn't have closer stuff. I don't even know if he has eighth inning stuff because of just the command issues. Like, can you imagine him coming into a game and just not having command and then walking the bases? So as much as I want to be like, yes, Tanner Scott could be that, that persona. I think at this time, you know, there's no need to typecast him. It's, you know, keep throwing him out there in high leverage situations and seeing how he does uh, with certain scenarios. And, and certain times he's going to probably do well and certain times he's not going to do well. But at 26 years old, I, I think the Orioles just need to find out what is going to be the role going forward with Tanner Scott. Um, and I think it's going to be important this year to find that out. I mean, Tanner Scott is entering into arbitration as of next year. Um, I certainly think that they'll pay him for that first year. But by that second year of arbitration, if Tanner Scott is still kind of a, we'll call it a low end to mediocre reliever, I could easily see the Orioles moving on from him. So the Orioles really need to figure out over these next two seasons what Tanner Scott is going to be um, for them and what position he takes. I don't think it's in a closure spot. Um but I don't know where else I would put him at this given time. Um, even a high leverage spot doesn't really particularly make me like like him as well. I always wonder if he could be like a, a Michael Givens candidate where, um, you know, not bringing him in as a closer, but maybe getting multi-inning relief appearances from him might be an interesting option. Hmm. All right. All right. The next, the next reset of expectations that I want to talk through is the baseball itself. We all derided the juiced baseball, but here it is. It's 2020. It's been supposedly undoctored. Should we reset our expectation for the batted ball contact? What have you noticed this season? And have you had any thoughts about how the ball may factor? So I, I know some of the initial uh, conversations was that the ball obviously has been doctored, um, that the seams were slightly different. And there was a lot of conversation being that a lot more breaking balls had a lot more movement on them. Um, and I feel like we're seeing that this year. I feel like we're seeing a lot more um, you know, movement for th- with breaking balls. And I think there has been a – it was, it was a trend before um, where pitchers were starting to go to more breaking balls as well. Um, but I think we need a larger sample size. I, I understand we are 10% into the season, and we should have an answer here. But we also <laughs> – we also are in a part of the season, too, where, you know, it's been really cold in a lot of stadiums. I'd like to come back and maybe explore this topic, you know, end of May, um, get a little bit further in, get some more weather going on. But at this time, I, I don't think there's anything extraordinary that I would be like, oh, something's really amiss here. Um, but I would just tell people, watch for watch for movement to the baseball, specifically with certain pitchers. Um, and just seeing is something a little bit different with certain pitchers than in previous seasons. Here's what I'm going to do. Every time the Orioles hit a ball and it dies on the warning track, I'm going to say, ah, oh, if they hadn't undoctored the ball, that would have gone. And whereas that has zero scientific uh, authority, it's going to make me feel better. And that's really all that matters. You can just say Mountcastle. 
<laughs> or watt meters. Watt meters. All right, last one. I need to uh, ask you about resetting the expectations for Ramon Urias. And I, I got to say, after some heroics in this early part of the season, I'm wondering if I should reset my expectations for what we have there and consider whether he deserves more playing time and whether this utility player should lean toward, if not super utility, we'll call it utility plus, and particularly since our second base situation is not particularly set with Rio Ruiz, who hasn't done himself a whole lot of favors at the plate and is learning the position of the fly. What do you make of Urias? Is, did, he, did he have a good week or is there some talent there? Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting question, and I pretty much have given it uh, almost no thought. Uh, but my answer to this is no, um, and and I'm going to follow that up with a no, um, and then I'm going to um, you know exemplify it with an additional uh, no, not 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 really, not going to do it. Are you sure you don't want to reconsider, reset that expectation? Uh, I'm going to pass this time. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, I, I appreciate that. You know, 10% of the way through the season, we know all the things now that we, we didn't know that we knew we'd know. Um, and, and I feel better. I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've considered things. I've, uh, I've put them in their proper place. And uh, all I can say is that it's really meaningful that the Orioles are in a place in the standings that, that isn't meaningful. I know Ramon Urias is very, very happy with this decision that we have made. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. I'm going to get up off this couch. We'll we'll shift it back over near the wall. When we come back, we'll go around the bases. All right, so let's start off at first base. Uh, some roster moves that are going to be occurring and have occurred. Uh, Dean Kramer was sent to the alternate site. Cole Slusser was the accompanying move. Um, Jake, I, I think Brandon Hyde explained this of just it worked out the best to do this um, in order to basically preserve the roster. And with the off days occurring, it, it made the most amount of sense. I mean, this just comes back to typical Norfolk sh shuffle, right? Absolutely. And and you look at the calendar and you say, OK, we won't need a fifth starter until such and such date. That means that we don't need that person. Instead, we can use a part to provide a fresh arm in the bullpen. No, I think it's fantastic roster management. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, we would have seen from the buckle up birds. You know, this is the kind of thing that maybe you don't have the best talent you know, one through 26, but take advantage of the full talent on the 40 man roster. I think it's great. I, I, I agree. And like I said, I don't think it's a big surprise. I also don't think it's too much of an issue with Dean Kramer um, as well. It's not like Dean Kramer has been great uh, is another basis point mm -hmm. to it too. So getting him down to the alternate site, um, you know, having the pitching development work with him, go through some additional video with him. I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's also really good from a player development basis as well uh, for Kramer to kind of, you know, coming back to our last segment, reset, as it were, um, and re-enter into the season. Um, you know, another move that's going to be coming up, too, is Austin Hayes is going to be returning to the active roster. 
uh, and the Orioles are going to have to figure out who are they going to uh, option um, at this given time. Um, so, Jake, who do you who do you think that the Orioles are going to option with Austin Hayes returning? I mean, I, I just said nice things about him, but it's got to be McKenna, right? So, I think McKenna makes a ton of sense. But hear me out here. Um, you know, I I think McKenna is the obvious you know favorite um, to go down. But I would also come back and think about, you know, Ryan Mountcastle has had a really tough beginning of the season. Um, is it worthwhile to maybe set press the reset button on Mountcastle, do exactly what we talked about with Kramer, send him down to the alternate camp, um, get him some, you know, experience, get him some confidence, and then reinsert him back into the lineup? Um, let, me, uh, let me go back, hit rewind, pull out a Scott Magnus and say, uh, no. No, no, no. No, I, I think I think you ride Mount Castle this season and live with the growing pains. I think the only other candidate for uh, going down would be Rio Ruiz, who we talked about, you know, not really clamping down onto that starting spot. Uh, but but to go back to your point about Mount Castle, uh, you have to balance what's best for the player developmentally uh versus you know just letting him struggle up here at the majors i don't know I, now that i've said it out loud i i think i still go with let him struggle in the majors and, and work through the slumps and and learn here uh because his, his bat's good enough to be here um i get the logic though if if you want to send him down let me say i i wouldn't be i wouldn't be upset about it but i would be certainly surprised yeah i, I like i said i would be surprised um Again, and the Orioles are very good with putting, you know, first baseman slash outfielders through their paces, um, being poor in the lineup in order to basically figure out what's going on at the major league baseball level. I just I just wouldn't want him to hit any potholes on the way down. Absolutely. That would be absolutely be dangerous. All right. Well, let's go to second base. Um, and we talked about the alternate site. So, I mean, I think the alternate well, site. Yeah. Hang on. I, I need you. I need you to talk to me like I'm eight. Okay. The alternate site. Yeah. I think I know what the alternate site is. But I'm not sure what the alternate site is. Okay. I know it's in Bowie. Okay. Is the is, is this the case? Is it that with the minor leagues opening up late, that they needed to have some place to store game-ready replacement players for the majors who, you know, injury or ineffectiveness or what have you. So the major league teams would have a pool to, to pull, to, to pull from. I mean, is that what the alternate site is? I mean, pretty much. So, I mean, let me try to explain it to you as you're eight. So Jake, when a man loves a woman and uh-huh, a man uh-huh. starts, Hang growing, on, let me write this down. Yeah. And a man starts growing hair on their chest. Uh, mm-hmm. They are eventually sent down to buoy to work at the alternate site because minor league baseball, in essence, hasn't opened up the gates to play real games, um, mainly because of COVID-19 and you know state precautions and state protocols. Um, and eventually, once that man loves that woman enough, um, they will open up the gates for minor league baseball uh, and the games will occur. Now, there's still this kind of talk of whether you know, major, minor league baseball is going to start on May 5th um, or it's going to be postponed by two weeks. But that's a decision that the man and the woman have to come to eventually um, when they're deep enough in their relationship. Does that make sense to you? I'm, re- I'm really, I'm really sorry that do I you, allowed that to happen. Um, do you need me to draw pictures for you? <laughs> I think I, I think I do. <laughs> let me, let me ask you though. Uh, do you think that 
uh, minor league baseball will start up and the alternate sites will go away? Yes. Okay. I, I think minor league baseball is going to start up eventually. Um, it's going to start up at some point in May. Uh, the alternate sites will go away because why would major league baseball want to pay additional money <laughs> for player development if they don't need to? And they can just, <laughs> in essence, have uh, their minor league uh, organizations that they own now do it. Um, so I, I think this is kind of like extended spring training, um, and it's a good way for for them to, uh, in, in essence, you know, push a few players through and make sure that they are staying fresh, as it were. I mean. I, I get the impression from what I've read that the alternate site teams are playing one another. Yes, right? that is correct. Are they playing in front of people? No. Like, wh- where are they doing this? So, uh, Orioles player development on Twitter actually has been doing a fun thing um, where they're just playing against each other, um, like a like a neighborhood wiffle ball game, uh, and then they're basically uh, posting the stats to the player development um, Twitter feed. So, it's kind of cool to see like what did Yuzniel Diaz do today, or. Um, what did uh, Jemai Jones do today? Um, but, but again, it's 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 small sample size, and it doesn't really matter. Again, it's more of just getting the work in, um, more so than not. Okay, so once minor league ball starts, once minor no league baseball interest. comes up and uh, starts up, then you know, obviously, it gets extremely real, and it all matters. And uh, you know, obviously, uh, teams that have minor league baseball success. Um, it always rectifies and, and, and shows up in the major leagues uh, within a few years. Well, hey, I mean, the fact that Bowie won that championship is why the uh, the buckle-up period happened, remember? It wasn't the Bowie win uh, like in 2016 when the whole thing was coming to an end? <laughs> details, details, details. I'm sure someone from Bowie is going to correct me on that one, but I'm pretty sure it was like 2016 is when Bowie won their championship. But uh, I, I'm sure I'm going to get really nasty email to Scott at BirdsEyeViewBaltimore.com uh, about gun rights and uh, the Bowie Bay Sox championship. So, uh, Hopefully not in the same email. Nope, in the same email. There's no question about it. All right, uh, let's, let's go on to third base. Scotty, is it my imagination or aren't Orioles catchers this season having a difficult time uh, catching? I th- I've noticed some shaky receiving from both Severino and Cisco. I feel like this has been occurring for a long time with Pedro Severino. Like, I, 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 I always remember Pedro Severino receiving the ball and then dropping the ball, um, not doing a really great job with catching foul tips. Um, I don't think this is a new phenomenon. Um, I, I think this is just... Um, you know, being away from baseball for so long, being in a weird kind of honeymoon period last year where it's kind of real baseball, not, but not real baseball. Um, I don't think this is anything new. I think this is just, I think you're paying more attention to the matter than you normally have in the past, Jake. Is it, is it because I've got more than 60 baseball games to look forward to that I'm, I'm soaking it all in? It may be because you have cable again for the first time in a while, (laughs) but, uh, that is and, possible. And as your reward, you get Scott Curso on a frequent basis. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't... We we knew this um, for a while, and it's you know, Pedro Severino, you know, not a great catcher. We already have covered the aspect of Chancisco not being a great catcher. Um, that doesn't mean that Adley Rutschman needs to come up immediately. It just means that when Adley Rutschman does come up, it's going to be even more glorious. <laughs> sure. 
Sure. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that Severino is probably, you know, an offense first uh, backup catcher. I think you can say the same thing about Francisco, that he's an yeah. offense first uh, catcher. I mean, I, I personally don't see much of a difference between Cisco and Severino. Um, I know some people like Severino a lot better than Cisco. I am not a huge Severino fan. Um, I think you're going through some lumps of some really... Um, I wouldn't say poor major league baseball catchers, but I'll call them below average major league baseball catchers. Um, and I think it kind of gives a, a greater credence slash value uh, to when we had a, a catcher on the roster with like Caleb Joseph and Matt Wieters of how much depth you truly had there. Um, both from an, I wouldn't say an offensive standpoint from Caleb Joseph, um, but more of that defensive prowess um, going forward as well. All right. Fair enough. Let's go ahead and uh, slide into home. I I just uh, I'm gonna admit I love reading the Orioles game notes. You ever do that? Like when I was a kid, I always wondered like how the people on the radio were so smart, and then I realized that they were all basically reading off the same game notes. Seems that the Orioles, you know, do a lot of work to to provide notes, basically to give the media talking points, and it's cool. They they bring it out basically. Uh, before and after every game. But one of my favorite parts of the game notes is a little section called Last Time It Happened. And so they have this whole list of the last time that a particular event happened for the Baltimore Oriole, uh, Baltimore Orioles. And it's funny because, you know, some of them are back in the glory days. Some of them are back in the, uh, you know, buckle up birds era. And some of them are very recent. So, you know, for instance, it, it shows, you know, when was the last uh, Utah Street home run, right? We haven't had one this season. So the last one was back in 2020. It was uh, it was Anthony Santander. Um, but, you know, when was the last time there was a no hitter? And of course, we all know that was that, uh, you know, five pitchers combined, that kind of thing. Do you know that in the Orioles um, franchise history, there has never been a, uh, a perfect game? But also a couple of things that never happened. There's never been a individual who's hit four home runs in the same game. Hmm. I but get, that's a little surprising. Yeah, I, I would think so too. Fifty-four years, sixty years, whatever it was. But the last player to hit three runs in the same game was Pedro Severino. So that apparently happens, you know, much, much, much more frequently. But this is definitely worth, you know, giving a gander through. Uh, it, it cracks me up every time. You know, of course, the last five hit game is Cedric Mullins. Who knows how long that'll stand? Yeah. But uh, Cal Ripken hit the last six hit game, but it was in 1999 on the tail of an the tail end of his career. It's uh, interesting to me to think that you know back at that point, you know, while he was basically on on the way out, he was still produ- uh, productive enough to hit six in, in a single game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. And, you know, I think it's always interesting to me because, like, you think about the Orioles organization, you think about, you know, how long the team has been here. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to just, you know, we haven't had an, a, a, a no-hitter um, at Cannon Yards um, pitched by an Orioles pitcher. Obviously, we've had it pitched against us. And it's just odd. Like you think about these things and you think about like triple play is occurring sometimes. And we saw a bunch of them. Um, I don't know. It just, because baseball is such a weird game sometimes and you just see odd things occur. Um, 
You know, one thing I also wanted to point out too, all for that kind of oddity based aspect from a historical baseball standpoint is, you know, Jake, you mentioned the aspect of game notes. And, you know, one thing I think is most intriguing to me reading through the game notes is how the game notes have shifted over the past few years to be more statistically oriented, where we now have stat cast data, win probability added, um, war values, where, you know, before, um, we'll call it a, bit, a little bit more fluffier. It's, it's, it's more narrative-based. Um, but I, I do think it is interesting that there is kind of a pull towards more of that StatCast era. Um, and I'm wondering, to a certain regard, um, if that is a request that has been made um, by certain Orioles broadcasters um, to have that data, data readily available so they can talk towards it during the broadcast. Well, if you ever hear somebody pull a ridiculous stat out of their butt, you know that they were flipping to page three for the last time it happened. Oh, so-and-so has hit six a uh, home run in six consecutive games. That hasn't happened since Chris Davis did it back in 2012, the 26th of September through the 2nd of October against Toronto, Boston, and Tampa Bay. That is impressive if you hear it, and you'd be like, how did that person know that? Um, but now you know it is probably from uh, the from the uh, from the from the game notes. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's it's interesting to me. And like I said, you normally see it. And they're like four to seven pages long. Um, and like I said, they're just it's just really well done by Orioles Public Relations. So um, give it a look out, um, see how it goes. Um, and like I said, it's just a fun little thing to look through before the game starts. All right, well, with that, um, I guess it's time for us to go through the numbers to see who won this week in Fantasy Boss. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh, baby, you sure do swing. All righty, Fantasy Boss is back, and well, it wouldn't be Fantasy Boss unless Jake I one. took the early lead <laughs> in a BS fashion. That's right. Last week, our category was walks. Um, Scott said that Trey Mancini would outwalk my pick, who, of course, was Michael Franco. It was close. It was close. Franco had two, and Trey Mancini had one. And, of course, Scott, that means I win. I win again. I was thinking, you know, if if this had happened two weeks ago and I was still bitter about it, the statistic I would have picked would have been an over and under for uh, ghost runners scoring the winning run. Uh, and the, the line would have been set at 1.5. But luckily, we're we're beyond that. We've grown uh, beyond that, or at least <clears throat> I like to pretend that I have. So, Scotty, this week, let's just go to chalk. Let's do it easy. Dongs. Dongs, dongs, dongs. dongs. And so, sir, it's your pick. 
All right. So if I'm going to pick dongs this week, I'm going to go back to uh, my pick from last week. Uh, it's a carefree highway with Trey Boom Boom Mancini. I like it. It's a good pick. I am. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to pick a guy that I necessarily wouldn't have picked earlier. I'm going to go with DJ Stewart. All right. I like DJ Stewart a lot. Again, we we talked about it earlier in the podcast. Uh, definitely has barreled up the ball many a time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think this is going to be a classic week where either neither one of them have a home run or we tie <laughs> is the best way to put it. So uh, DJ Stewart. At zero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so DJ Stewart versus Trey Mancini. Who will own it? And with that... Let's figure out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly this past week. That's right. It is time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started this week. My good is Paul Fry. I thought that the bullpen had a pretty good week as a whole, but in a bullpen looking for dependable arms, Fry gave them just that. Four innings pitched over, I think, four distinct ball games. Just one hit over that time against five strikeouts. So P- Paul Fry hopefully can find his way not just to be a lefty specialist, if such a thing exists in modern rules, but also a dependable arm for Brandon Hyde. He had a good week. Jake, if you could read my mind, it would ask, Freddie Gallus, did you do things this week? And apparently he could, did. Could you not Gordon Lightfoot, please? <laughs> Jake, do you have a problem with Gordon Lightfoot? Do I need no, to get Kevin Brown on this? Song. Okay. It's just that song. Just that one song. Um, so uh, Freddie Galvez did something this week. I'm still surprised. Um, you know, 23 plate appearances, had a, uh, a, a 435 on base percentage, a 234 weighted runs created plus, had a homer in there, uh, played some decent defense, 0.5 F4 this week. Freddie Galvez, colored me surprised. Yeah, no, it's great to see because I was starting to get a real Alex Cintron vibe off of him. So, you know, hey, more of that, please. Absolutely. All right, let's go to bad. My bad for this week is going to go to Anthony Santander. It breaks my heart, but in 27 plate appearances, oh, he didn't do a whole lot with him. 25.9K percentage, a 165 Woba, and a one. Weighted runs created plus. Again, that is a stat that is normalized at 100. One. That's a rough week. I, I, Anthony Santander was bad this week. He was definitely bad. There's no question about it. Jake, I don't want to be a rainy day person, but uh, Trey Boom Boom Mancini has not been good as of recently. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, we all know this. Um, you know, even Hyde, you know, was sitting him for a day just to kind of regroup his mindset. Um, but he's posting a 182 average, 250 on base percentage, 76 weighted runs created plus. It looks like he's pushing out a lot there. It looks like he's 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 trying to do too much. Um, it, it just looks like he's in a slump, honestly. Um, and I know he's going to come out of it because uh, we saw it all this spring, and we know he has the talent for it. Um, but he's just he's just stretching out a little bit too much and and, and over pushing it. So I know Trey's going to get it back on track, but for this week, he's bad in my book. Sure. 
All right, let's go ahead and get to the ugly. I know I picked on them for their defensive prowess or lack thereof, but I want to talk about the catchers at the plate. Collectively, our catchers were ugly offensively uh, this past week. Pedro Severino led the tandem with a negative 25 weighted runs created plus, which is just absurd. But it looks really good against Chancisco's negative 36 weighted runs created plus. I I know that right now we're not hiring them for their bat, but goodness, it would be nice to see them do something with it. Absolutely. Caleb Joseph is looking at those numbers and saying, hey, even I could do that. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it was an abysmal this week from the from the catchers. And I realize at the bottom of the order, but still um, can't have those easy outs is the best way to put it. So uh, completely agree. Definitely in the ugly category. Uh, my ugly is going to go to Ryan Mountcastle, who, again, Jake, we said it before, he's here for the bat. He's not there for defense. Um, and he is just not delivering right now with the bat in the past week. He's got a 174 average, a 167 on base percentage, no walks, uh, 16.7% K rate. And, you know, part of it is some bad luck with a BABIP of 200. You know, we talked about a lot of fly ball outs to the warning track, which certainly are going to turn into something eventually. Um, but right now, um, Ryan Mountcastle isn't delivering anything, certainly not with his glove. Um, Ryan Mountcastle's ugly. He will turn it around eventually. Um, there's just too much talent there with the play with that bat. It's just a question of ultimately where are you playing him? Is this going to be your DH first baseman? What's it going to be? Um, and Ryan Mountcastle is almost a liability uh, in this lineup at this given time. Um, so Ryan Mountcastle was ugly this past week. Oof. All right. I'm going to do my best to recover from that brutal brutal uh review of my castle's week i'm gonna sit back when we come back scotty can blow the save and get us out of here Yeah, so for this week, uh, for blowing a save, I mean, we started off the season, um, and you know, we, there was an article that came out in Pressbox Online that I wouldn't say caught me off guard, um, but it was something that I kind of made me say, "Huh," um, and it was something that kind of went under the radar, um, all things considering. Um, but Jim Henneman, official scorer for the Orioles, um, retired um, and uh, you know stepped away for the first time. Um, and, and in essence, went off into the sunset. And you know, it's a really interesting article that was posted by him, specifically talking about some of the games that he got to see, both at Memorial Stadium and in Canyon Yards. Um, some really cool stories of you know how he was doing the scoring for Al Kyline's three thousandth hit um, at Memorial Stadium, um, and obviously being a Baltimorean, um, you know, Al Kyline, um, that had to be really special for 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 Al Kyline. But also for someone like Jim Henneman uh, to basically make sure that he was was doing it right, and he goes through that entire story, um, and, and then he just walks through some additional kind of side topics and conversations. But you know, I just think there we talked about this aspect of this allure, this this basis of baseball, these memories that occur from it too. Um, and I, I just think back to folks like Jim who are stepping away from the box, um, and you know, Jim certainly has done a great job. 
Um, it's a great job to do that as an official scorer. Sometimes there's a lot of pressure uh, and a lot of persuasion uh, that comes from the visiting clubhouse to potentially change uh, scoring rules. Um, but I just wanted to pay kind of an homage uh, to Jim Henneman um, and just say thanks for doing a, a great job. Uh, thanks for a great career. Uh, and hope to see you at the ballpark um, again in the future. Um, I'm sure you'll be visiting the press box um, in the future. So just wanted to say thanks to Jim uh, for all the hard work over the years. Uh, I actually got a chance to meet Jim uh, while being at the press box one time. Really nice guy. Um, you know, couldn't be nicer. Just talking to us like from a podcast slash blogger standpoint. Um, shook my hand for some reason. Um, I guess that is my claim to fame as opposed to um, Jake shaking, shaking Dave Wallace's hand on the field. Um, but yeah, just Jim's, Jim was a nice guy, uh, is the best way to put it. Um, and I think it's really fun to see individuals that spend their entire career, um, with one organization and also to see the Orioles kind of, um, you know, make sure that he was able to do what he loved to do, uh, for so many years. So congratulations, Jim, on finally, um, reaching, uh, the end of the ninth and not having to go to extra innings. Um, Scott, I've, I've checked with the official scorer, and uh, this save has been blown. Okay. I was about to say, I thought it might have been an error on myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to review and rate the show we appreciate the feedback, even if it's negative, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.